Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now and we're going to have a look at Philippians chapter 4. We are up to our third talk in our series where we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit called Pursuing Greatness. And today we are looking at peace. So let's have a look at chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. It'll be in your Bibles or behind me on the screen and we pick it up at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever, uh, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. I feel like a stranger in this church. I've had four weeks leave and I've just come back. So excuse me a little bit. Because um, I feel like I need to be welcoming myself. I've welcomed newcomers morning tea this morning. I'll be there. So uh, anybody else want to join me? That's all great. I'm looking forward to uh, looking at what it means to find peace. Because as Ben mentioned, it's not just rain inconvenient for us today, but lots of people around the country are facing floods, literal floods, uh, working out what to do. But even for us here, sometimes it can feel like us when our world is, uh, we're in the middle of a storm and it's flooding and the pressure's on us. This is a timely passage. Let me pray and then we'll get, get into it. Dear Father God, I just thank you that uh, we have this opportunity now to be together. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you through your word, but to know that your Holy Spirit meets with us, is with us, and you speak to us. So I pray that you'd give us open hearts to listen open hearts to, to see what you're truly like and how to draw near to you and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm finding that people today, more than ever before, I want to say more than any other time in history, are talking about finding inner peace. I want to say more than any other time in history, but that's pretty arrogant. I might just say, in my lifetime, I've uh, noticed that people are talking about this pursuit or how do I get inner peace? It seems like the last few years, the journey through COVID, we went through a time of uh, just ongoing busyness of life, the stresses of life, and it was kind of normalised. But through COVID, through isolation, through realising we're probably more vulnerable than we realise, our lives are a bit more in danger than we realise, we've come out the other end being more aware or more sensitive to anxiety and the pressures and probably self-care. And the pursuit or the desire to have a life that is free from anxiety and worry, to find that inner peace, is now more than any other time that I can remember. Let me illustrate. See, in the last three years, the, the wellness industry in Australia has had a massive push as in people are just trying to get more and more. The whole uh, day spa industry, for example, go get your nice massage, go and um, learn how to breathe right and go and get a healthy meal and it makes you feel better, lets you relieve yourself of the worries of the world for that moment. 
It's an industry that in the last three years, so basically over COVID, has grown 39% and they're projecting uh, about 15% growth each year from now on because more and more people want to get that time out. They want to find that inner peace. In fact, if you're looking for a day spa area within 15 minutes of here, how many day spas do you reckon are within 15 minutes of here? Some of you probably know because you've checked them all out, no doubt. Uh, what, five or 10 within 15 minutes of here? If you Google it. 21 day spas within 15 minutes of here. Chances are many of us have gone, tried it out and just looking for that time out, somewhere where I can find inner peace. The yoga industry in Australia, there are 4,000 yoga studios. They're popping up everywhere in Australia. It's a, 20, uh, sorry, a $621 million industry. People looking to find that inner peace that calmness away from the busy world. Even in podcasts, people searching for that self-help or guided help to find out where I can find peace. Two, two of the big ones, uh, one's called The Imperfects, 600,000 downloads a month. The other one, The Mindset Mentor, 700,000 downloads a month. You can't just say, oh, this is just for some people who have troubles in life. No, no, lots of people are realising this is something I need. I need something to calm me down, to address my worries, to address my anxiety. See, through all these statistics, I think there's two things that there is to notice. One is that we do live in a messy, chaotic world and it does take its toll. We do pay the price of it, living in a messy world. With all its pressures and demands and it can feel relentless, that it's real. The second thing I think we can notice, that we as a society are more aware of ourselves and the need to find that inner peace, that life without the worries, without the anxieties, that I need to escape, I need to address it, I need to be free from it. And we will do almost anything to find it. Pay money, go to spa. Actually, one of the great, the growing trends at the moment is goat yoga. Yes. You do all sorts of stretches in all sorts of positions and have a little goat crawl over you. Uh, it must be good because people are flocking to it and checking it out. I haven't experienced it personally, but it doesn't look that great. But anyway, open to anything, I guess. Um, try it out. But you can do these things to try and find that escape place away from the world, but the world is still there. The world's still chaotic, still precious. And we notice that this is not a new thing. It's not a new phenomenon. In fact, the Bible has been talking about dealing with stress and anxiety for thousands of years. Read through the Psalms and you, you read through stories of or people expressing themselves of how they're trying to deal with the stresses and anxieties of life. And we read through like the passages we had read earlier, talking about being free from anxiety, finding peace with God. That goes back some 2,000 years ago. People searching for inner peace. And the Bible's talking about it because it's such a big issue and Jesus is saying there is an answer. There is a way forward. So what we're looking at this morning is what is the Bible offering that's different we can find elsewhere? Because there are lots of choices. There's lots of options that we can go for. And what difference does Jesus really make? You know, we're getting 
always putting the stresses of life, the pressures of life. What is Jesus going to do for that? Is this just empty words or is there something to this? We want to discover that this morning. So asking three questions. What is peace? What does this peace look like? And how can I pursue this peace? Is what we're going to hit into this morning. So what is this peace? We're going to look at a passage that talks about, we want to see what Jesus says. Because Jesus uh, is going to say he is the answer. But he's about to, um, he's been hanging out with his disciples, his followers, for about three years. And he knows his time's coming to an end. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be killed. Uh, and, and this is the end of their time. And he's preparing them for this. This is from the Gospel of John. And he says, A time is coming, and, is, and it in fact has come, when you will be scattered. He's talking to his disciples. Each of you, each to your own home, you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Then he goes on to say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a few things going on here. Firstly, for Jesus, he says there's something coming that when we talk about peace, we like to think peace as I've got a trouble-free life. Nothing bad's going to happen. I can live just enjoying life. No, no, no. Jesus says a time is coming. There will be trouble. In fact, there's going to be so much trouble. You disciples don't, won't want to hang around. You'll scatter. You won't be with me. You'll abandon me. But he says, it's all right. It's okay. Jesus is saying, Look, I've got peace. Why can Jesus say he's got peace? Because I know my Father is with me. Instead of looking around at my circumstances, and they're going to be bad because you're not going to want to hang around, I'm going to look to the, look to the Father God who's truly in control. But he says the same thing to them. You're going to have this peace as well. You can have this peace. Doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. No, no, in fact, you will have trouble. You'll have trouble looking around. That's not the peace. The peace you'll find is on the inside, not by looking at your problems, but by looking to me. It's Jesus, the Son of God, look to me and you will find that peace because I have overcome the world. So there's something about this. What is peace? Well, we have a definition here. It's in our growth group books. If you're involved in growth groups or if you want a book, they're in the foyer. The peace is not a life without trouble. How we long for that. But no, no, there's always troubles and pressures in life. If you think your life is, hasn't got any problems, that's awesome. But tomorrow, something new is going to come up. You know, it's always there. So the peace we're talking about, this inner peace, is not a life without trouble. But what is it? Peace is a confidence and trust in the wisdom and control of God. That rather than you're in control, uh, uh, rather than you being in control, confident in your own control, if that makes sense. The, it's knowing that he's got it, he's looking after it, not me. So this is significant, right? Because when we look for inner peace, we want to escape the chaos of the world. You can go to your day, pars, day spas, you can go to your goat yoga, you can go to those things to try and forget about the worries of the world. But real peace is how do we find rest and confidence in a time where the storms are happening all around us. That's real peace. That's what we're after. 
And this is what the Bible talks about. It's what Jesus is talking about. So how does this play out? It's good in theory to have this stuff, but what does it actually look like? Because Jesus is about to go to a very tense situation. The next passage we're going to look at, still in the Gospel of John, a couple of chapters later, into chapter 18. And this is where Jesus has gathered his disciples with him, is in a quiet place. Even Jesus had a quiet retreat. It was a garden outside Jerusalem. uh, And he's in this garden. It's quiet. He's just with his 12 disciples or 11 disciples because one left him by that time. And it's at night time. And this is where we pick up the story. It's John chapter 18. And this is the setting. Now Judas, who betrayed Jesus knew the place because Jesus had often been there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from and the sorry and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious people from the temple. And they were carrying uh, torches, lanterns and weapons. Now let's really get into this situation. We don't just read over it Many of us have heard this story before. But what would it be like? Jesus is there. He knows trouble's coming. He's in his quiet place. It's at night time. It's peaceful. And he's with his disciples, his close mates around him. Then he hears the noises of chatter. There's talk coming up the hill to the garden. He sees the lanterns. He smells the burning of the oil of the torches. He sees there's a big group, the clanging of uh, soldiers with their, their armour, as they march along there's a big group of people coming to to come into his quiet little retreat but what does he see at first he sees Judas his friend or ex-friend Judas is the guy that he was close to it's one of his disciples been with him for about three years but Judas had a falling out Judas didn't like what Jesus was doing he had a disagreement with Jesus and he stormed off Judas didn't want to be a part of Jesus so to see him there stirs up this, what's going on here? He also sees a detachment of soldiers. Uh, other gospels who tell this story talk about it being um, they were the temple guards. So not just Roman soldiers, they belong to the temple. Uh, they're big guys, they're like the bouncers at the temple. You know, if you go to the religious temple, they're the guys, big guys stand outside, make sure everybody's behaving themselves. But they have one job, and that is to make sure the officials are happy. If the officials of the temple aren't happy, it's your job to go and sort it out. They're the bullies of the temple to go and sort out the mess. They're not the sort of guys you want to meet down a dark alley or even a dark garden where there's no one around. But then there's these, the officials and Pharisees. They're the religious leaders. Now, these guys should be on the same team as Jesus, right? They're both about uh, bringing people to God, helping us understand who God is, helping us live for God and enjoy God forever. That's their role, right? Both Jesus and the people who work at the temple, who lead the temple. But no, the religious officials, the Pharisees, they just want to fight Jesus all the time. They're jealous of Jesus, envious of Jesus. They just want to take him down. So these guys don't like Jesus at all either. Now, can you imagine... All the people that you've had conflict with, you know, people you've had a fallout with, people there's a history with, people that have hurt you, people that feel like they want to take you down all the time, people you don't want to meet, all in one place, all together, lined up, ready to take you on. I mean, you'd think 
this is a tense situation for Jesus, right? This is where the pressure's really coming on. They're after him. And I think we can associate with that to an extent. of going. So I think there are times in our lives where we have people that we'd rather not see, rather not meet. Just the thought of them being in the same room as us helps, brings us tenseness and anxiety and tightness of the stomach, makes us nervous. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? At times in our lives, we have people like that. And what are we going to do? It does bring us worry and anxiety that we come across this. But we'd rather just not have anything to do with them for the rest of our lives, right? But this is Jesus taking them on. So in times like this, in this tenseness, in the worry and anxiety and uh, the pressure of what's going to happen next, this, the adrenaline kicks in, the fight or flight. What do we do? Do we run and hide? I mean, for Jesus, it's a big garden. He could try and run and hide in the dark and hope they can't find him. Can he charm his way out of it? Just deny everything? Oh, no, did you think I said, no, I didn't mean I was a son of God. I mean, did you think I was saying, I could? no, I didn't mean that. Could he talk his way out of it? Or often what we do too, right, is when we're under pressure like this, when we're under attack or when we're threatened, we retreat to our friends, go to our friends and go, you don't believe what they're doing and they're saying, you love me, right? You care for me. You're taking on, you're on my side, right? We often do that too, don't we? Does Jesus do that? How's he going to handle this situation? These are a large group of people. They're haters and might have forgot to mention that um, they're carrying weapons. So, you know, he, he is threatened. Well, the story goes on if we keep reading. Jesus, knowing that all is going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, I am he, Jesus said. Uh, and Judas the traitor was there standing with them at, at that time. And when Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and they all fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth they said. Jesus again said, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, uh, let them go because, and this happened to fulfil the words that Jesus uh, would, sorry, I'm having trouble reading this, <laughs> so that Jesus uh, would have spoken, uh, his words would be fulfilled, the prophecy would be fulfilled, that I have not let one of them, uh, those, leave me. But then Simon Peter, one of the disciples, who had a sword, drew it out, and stuck, struck one of the high priest's servants, cutting his ear off and his name's there. Just, I think that's there just to say, look, you can talk to him, he's still alive at the time this is written. But Jesus says and rebukes Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested him, arrested Jesus, and they bound him and they took him off to see Ananias, one is going to go through several trials. All this happened to Jesus. So what was Jesus thinking? Because you've got to think, as you read that, and I know that was poorly read, as you read that, you've got to go, Jesus was extremely calm in this situation. Like he was Mr. Cool, wasn't he? He didn't let the adrenaline kick in. He wasn't worried. He wasn't, didn't seem to be stressed or anxious about it. It was Peter 
talked about Jesus under pressure, but Peter's there. He can see what's happening. He's looking around. He's seeing the threat to him, to Jesus. He sees the world crumbling around him. What's he going to do? I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take control. So he whips out his sword, starts waving it in the dark, cuts off a guy's ear, thinking that's going to fix the problem. And Jesus like rebukes Peter. It's not, come on, boys, let's get them. Let's take them on. We can do this. He rebukes Peter. The other gospel says that uh, Jesus picks up the guy's ear and heals him, puts the ear back on. So I'm going to fix this mess. Peter, that's not how we're going to deal with this. Peter gets the anxiety and stress and adrenaline and wants to take control. But Jesus says, no, 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 we've got this. Why does Jesus do, do that? Why does Jesus, how can he act so cool? There's a couple of little hints here. You might have picked it up in verse 4, where, Jesus, where we're told that Jesus knows what was going to happen to him. Now, this is good because a lot of our anxiety and stress is because of the unknown. We don't know how things are going to play out. So if I only knew how things were going to end up, if I only knew things were going to be okay, I could sleep at night easy. That's what we want. But actually for Jesus... I don't know whether it's an advantage. He knows how it's going to play out. He knows what's going to go on. But instead of it's all going to be okay, actually, he knows it's not going to be okay. He knows this is just the start of all his problems. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be abused, going to put up on false charges. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be stripped down to his undies, nailed to a cross. Now, the Romans liked killing people, but they also liked embarrassing them, taking them down to the lowest of low. He's going to be mocked, humiliated, stripped of dignity, stripped of everything, nailed on a cross, ready to die. Jesus knows that's waiting for him. I don't know where that stops worry and anxiety, knowing the future. When it's like that, I think it just adds to this is, this is a hard road. This is a hard road. So knowing what's going to happen to him, I think if it's me, I'm more worried, more anxious. But then he says something in verse 11, which we have there. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? It's like saying, am I not going to trust God in this? God's in control. Rather than looking at the circumstance, I'm looking to him. He's in control. He's the one that's laid out the plan for my life. He's the one that knows where this is all going. Am I going to trust God's plan? is the real question. He says, of course it is. And the reference to the cup is, is language they used to use to talk about wrath or anger um, coming out. So he's going to take on this bad thing. Am I not going to deal with this angry situation, this anger from God poured out? I'm going to trust my father God in this. Because he also knows, even though this is going to be hard for him, even though it's pushing into a stressful, hard situation, he also knows it's only through this that there will be peace in the world, that there will be, um, death will be defeated, that through going to the cross, by through him dying, that he will conquer death to assure us of real peace, of eternal life in heaven. So he can't just say, hey, We've got this place called heaven. Don't worry about death. We're going to be there. No, no. If you're going to beat death, you've got to actually die. Go to death. We're buried in a tomb. He's dead for three days before he, then, before he then rises to say, no, no, I have beat death. I have conquered the world, it said earlier. So Jesus is going to go there. He's going to trust his father. And it seems, that seems to be the thing that gives him that inner peace. It seems to be the thing that, let's see, I'm not going to worry about this situation. I'm not going to be anxious about this situation. I'm sure it's stressful seeing what's going on. But I'm not going to be taken, I'm not going to be crushed by this. And he can just, I'm trusting the Father. And he's cool, calm and collected through this. It'd be very easy to get angry at God. 
be very easy to be like Peter and go, hey, I'm going to fix this situation. I can take these guys down. Be very easy to turn to other things, but to have confidence that God's got this. And that's our definition, isn't it? The definition that we talked about earlier, what is inner peace, is that confidence and rest in the wisdom that God is in control. And this is Jesus living it out. Bad situations, storms of life coming in, crushing him. But to have confidence, in a sense, rest in the knowledge that God is in control, even in the mess. That's what it looks like to have this inner peace, this inner peace that God is offering. Now, how do I get that inner peace? How do we find it? Now, there's a whole bunch of uh, New Testament letters, and nearly every letter of the New Testament talks about having inner peace and how to get it. We're just going to look at uh, those few verses from Philippians. This is New Testament church. Uh, this is first century. Christians are under pressure. Romans don't like them. Uh, and Paul, the Apostle Paul's writing to them saying, hey, I'm going to encourage you. You can have peace in this world, even though it looks hard around you. Where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Oh, sorry, the previous verse finished off by saying, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about finding this peace in Jesus. That same Jesus we saw deal with the tense pressure situation. But he come through it. That same Jesus who trusted his father God. That same Jesus who overcome the world. The same Jesus who defeated death. The same Jesus who said to his disciples, in me you will have peace. The Jesus that we were talking about back then is the same Jesus. We can find peace today. If it's up to us to fix up our problems, like I know for me, if it's up to me to fix up my problems, I should be worried and I should be anxious because a lot of times I fail. I'm not in control. But I do know one who is in control. It's Jesus. He's the one I can hand over my anxiety to, my worries to. There's someone who is greater, that has control of all things. And Paul says, and he's near to you. He's not far away. He's near to you. It's just a prayer away. And praying is something that says, hey, Lord, you know, I can't do this. I can't handle this. This is too big for me. I'm going to give the control to you. You know, often I think of life, you know, you're steering through life, navigating your way. It's a bit like driving a car. You've got the steering wheel and you go and go, I can see trouble here. I'm going to avoid that trouble. There's trouble here. I'm going to avoid that pressure. Oh, there's something really tense going on up here. I'm just going to have to push my way through that. That's going to be pressure. I'm just going to have to plough through it because that's what I do. But it's like, no, no, it's actually saying, God, you're a better navigator than me. You're a better driver than me. I'm going to give the steering wheel to you, which means praying about it. It's actually addressing, hey, look, there's people in my life. There's relationships I'm struggling with. Lord, I need your help in this area. I don't want to be in a room with someone where I'm feeling anxious and tense all the time. Take it over for me. Lord, there's financial pressure on me. I don't know what to do. I don't see any answers out. But Lord, please free me of this anxiety. Free me from this worry. Lord, I'm worried about my future. I just don't know where it's going, whether it's relationships, whether it's... Um, whatever our future worries us 
hand it over to God. God, I want to trust you in this. You have the steering wheel. You navigate my life and I want to follow your lead. It's actually praying about that. But it's actually saying, I can't do it. It's actually having confidence in God's control to find rest in God's control. Handing it over to him in prayer. He's not far away. Knowing that not all our troubles will disappear because we've already seen that troubles will come. Jesus, his disciples, Jesus says to Christians more than any other people, you will have trouble in this world. So it's not praying for world peace, you might say, although we can pray for that, but it's inner peace. Lord, help me find this. Help me work this through. Here's the control. That's what gives us peace. It gives us rest, knowing that he is in control and I'm going to trust him. I want to tell you a story about a guy called Horatio Spafford. You might have heard his story. He's a guy who lived in the mid-1800s. He's a successful lawyer in America, in Chicago. He's married, uh, a successful lawyer business, was quite wealthy, owned lots of properties. He had five kids, a boy and four girls. Uh, he had it all. But then over a six-year period, first his, his son died, which is a grief. Anybody here that knows uh, we've been close to, sisters or children who've died, it really tears your heart out. But then three years later, uh, what's called the, the big um, the fire of Chicago, you can Google it, just wiped out almost all of Chicago. Almost everything he's worked for is burnt down. He's lost almost everything. Now, if you've been in business or had savings or been working towards something that's all been taken away, you know, it guts you. So all that stuff I've done, all that stuff I've been working towards been taken away from me. Three years later, so over six years this happened, three years later he says, look, we need a break. We're going to take my family on a holiday to Europe. Uh, we're going to go over there and just digest all these processes. He's a Christian guy. Time with his family is good. But I need to wrap up a few business things. So he sends his wife and four daughters across uh, the Atlantic to Europe. They go first. Then he gets the message from his wife to say, hey, there's a storm. The boat sunk and our four daughters are gone. They're dead. So six years, he's lost his son, lost everything he's worked for, lost his daughters. They're all gone. So he then jumps on a boat to go to be with his wife, crosses the Atlantic. Now, as a Christian man, that's got to test your faith, right? You go, God, how could you let this happen to me? Talk about when the storms come in, whether it's literal storms or storms putting the pressure on life that can crush you or just get you cranky. God, I don't want to do this anymore. Where are you? Questioning God. I thought you're in control, but maybe you're not. In this boat trip crossing the Atlantic, it said that when he gets to this point where he, uh, the storm hit and his daughters died, um, he writes this poem. He's a lawyer, right? He's not a hymn writer. He's a lawyer. And he writes the song to him, It Is Well With My Soul. The song we sung earlier today. He writes the words. Somebody else years later comes along, put, turns it into a hymn. But in, this, in the words to that, I'm not sure whether you notice, and knowing the backstory, instead of him getting angry at God, looking at his circumstances, saying, I've got this or I haven't got this or getting angry, rather than looking around, he's looking up to God. Here's a few of the verses we sort of, we sing them, but sometimes we don't think about the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. That's real inner peace. That's that rest that he's finding. 
When sorrows like sea billows, man, that metaphor with the ocean wiping out his daughters, but when the waves are crashing on us, whatever my lot, they have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know what? Whatever's going on around me, uh, it's chaotic. It's hard. It's trouble. It's stressful. No doubt about that. But you know what? He's looking to Jesus to know, you know, I know it's still well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through trials should come. Let, the, uh, let this blessed assurance control that, uh, control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. So I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. There's nothing good that God should save me. But he says, I know. Uh, he hath, but Jesus has shed his own blood for my soul. And he goes on to talk about his sinlessness, his brokenness, but to know that Jesus valued him enough to die on the cross for him. To know that he, God is in control, that God is, did not abandon him, but has drawn him closer. That assurance, that confidence in God's control, but also that rest that God is in control, is well with my soul. Also later verses, it talks about uh, when Jesus returns and brings us home, to know that he'll be back with his daughters, to be back with his son, to be back with all the things he loves, to know that God is in control and to find rest in that. It's an amazing story, something that should stir us on, spur us on to do that. But what would it look like for you to do that? Because I know right now there's a lot of us here with a lot of hurts, a lot of worries, a lot of baggage, we might say, that builds a lot of anxiety, the tightness of the stomach, they're not sleeping at night, the worries of the world. What does it look like for each of us to pray to God to go, you know what, you take control. I know I've got a plan, I've got my way to do things, but I know your way is always much better than mine. You take control. What would that look like for you to do it? I want you to think about that today. Also in our growth groups, there's another question I want us to think about. What would it look like for us, not only to find peace, but to be a peacemaker? So uh, the Bible talks about blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is a peacemaker. Uh, to not only find rest and peace and confidence in God in oursel for ourselves, but to know that the others should find that too. And we need to be the one who initiates that peace. And I find it really hard to think about the people that I have conflict with, the people that makes my stomach tighten and tense and make me feel uncomfortable what does it look like to have those conversations with them to go you know what i need to hand control to god about that how do we do that in our growth groups we'll be talking a bit more about that not just us finding peace but for us to be the peacemaker what does it look like that's big and heavy and I think it's timely that next week I think our topic is patience because that's the next big challenge for us is to go this is nice but this is a long journey it's right to do it today what's going to look like next week so I look forward to hitting that next week let me pray it's a lot of heavy stuff there but we do want to find that true rest that peace in the storms of life let's start handing it over to God now let's pray dear father God just thank you for this message that you don't just send us off into a world like feeding Christians to the lions, that we're just going to be torn apart with no hope. Lord, we thank you that we do have hope. We do have assurance. And we've seen it in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that you've gone before us, that you know what it's like to be rejected. 
You know what it's like to have people who are after you and trying to take you down. You know what it's like to be threatened. But, let, but yet, Lord, you overcome that. Lord, thanks for the example, but thanks for being the one who can take our, our worries and anxiety. Thanks for knowing us enough to, to empathise, but also to remove that and to take that load so we can have rest. Lord, thanks for the confidence and rest we find in you. And I pray that for each of us who are dealing with different things in life, we'll be able to draw near to you and have those, those conversations with you to hand over control and to find joy in that and to hand over the worry to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.